welcome to the Words Matter Library. On the eve of what should be Donald Trump's second State of the Union address, we wanted to revisit some of history's great State of the Unions. And all of these historic addresses that you're about to hear are available on Audible if you want to go back and listen to the full address and absorb and appreciate the history. We'll start with FDR's 1941 State of the Union. FDR, the 32nd president, he was about to begin his third term, and he delivered the address to a joint session of Congress at around 2 p.m., which I find interesting because we're so used to, in modern history, these addresses occurring at night. And I've been listening to Doris Kearns Goodwin's book, No Ordinary Time, Franklin and Eleanor Roosevelt, The Homefront in World War II. And the brilliant Doris Kearns Goodwin provided some important context for the timeline and what was happening 1941 as FDR delivered this seminal State of the Union address. The Great Depression had really exhausted the country. It was at about a dozen years at that point, and Americans were tenuously recovering, but also still struggling, and they doubted the wisdom of overseas intervention against Nazi Germany. So in FDR's State of the Union, he presented his Lend-Lease program and argued that America had a role in the world and a moral responsibility to aid our British ally against Nazi aggression. And I went back and did some reading on the history of this address, and his advisor and speechwriter, Samuel Rosenman, he said that FDR actually was incredibly involved in every phase of the speechwriting process and even coined the four freedoms phrase himself. FDR had been inspired by his wife Eleanor's musings on democracy and equality, according to Doris Kearns Goodwin. So let's listen to FDR's address, one of the finest works of persuasion and inspiring rhetoric in the history of our nation and the world. In the future days, which we seek to make secure, we look forward to a world founded upon four essential human freedoms. The first is freedom of speech and expression everywhere in the world. The second is freedom of every person to worship God in his own way everywhere in the world. The third is freedom from want, which translated into world terms means economic understanding which will secure to every nation a healthy peacetime life for its inhabitants everywhere in the world. The fourth is freedom from fear, which translated into world terms means a worldwide reduction of armaments to such a point and in such a thorough fashion that no nation will be in a position 
to commit an act of physical aggression against any neighbor anywhere in the world. That is no vision of a distant millennium. It is a definite basis for a kind of world attainable in our own time and generation. That kind of world is the very antithesis of the so-called new order of tyranny which the dictators seek to create with the crash of a bomb. To that new order, we oppose the greater conception, the moral order. A good society is able to face schemes of world domination and foreign revolutions alike without fear. Since the beginning of our American history, we have been engaged in change in a perpetual, peaceful revolution, a revolution which goes on steadily, quietly, adjusting itself to changing conditions without the concentration camp or the quicklime in the dish. The world order which we seek is the cooperation of free countries working together in a friendly, civilized society. This nation has placed its destiny in the hands and heads and hearts of its millions of free men and women and its faith in freedom under the guidance of God. Freedom means the supremacy of human rights everywhere. Our support goes to those who struggle to gain those rights and keep them. Our strength is our unity of purpose to that high concept that can be no end save victory. And the other presidential address that I downloaded as I researched this State of the Union moment wasn't actually a State of the Union. It's incredibly rare in the modern presidency for a president to not deliver a State of the Union. And so that's part of the reason that Donald Trump and Nancy Pelosi's back and forth over the address has been so newsworthy. But the last instance in recent history where a president delayed a State of the Union was in 1986, and that was when the space shuttle, the Challenger, crashed the morning of January 28th, and President Reagan was set to deliver the address that day. And he decided, of course, he could not deliver the address as planned, and he knew he needed to speak to the nation during this time of great mourning. What I love about this particular address and how it happened was that a young female speechwriter named Peggy Noonan, who had been toiling away in relative obscurity in the old Eisenhower executive building, Don Regan, said, quote, get that girl, you know, have that girl do it, because he knew that 
a woman could deliver the emotional center and core that such an address would need. I love that it was almost condescending for her to be tapped, and yet Peggy Noonan managed to help craft one of the greatest speeches in American history. What they managed to capture in less than six hours following the tragedy and preceding the address was in the history of speech writing nothing short of absolutely incredible. And so now we'll listen to that address, President Reagan's Challenger Memorial, a fitting testament to the courageous seven Americans who gave their lives to further our understanding of the great unknown world. And it also is a testament to Ronald Reagan's special brand of empathy and his leadership and his understanding of the president's very important role as comforter-in-chief during a time of tragedy. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd planned to speak to you tonight to report on the State of the Union. But the events of earlier today have led me to change those plans. Today is a day for mourning and remembering. Nancy and I are pained to the core by the tragedy of the shuttle Challenger. We know we share this pain with all of the people of our country. This is truly a national loss. Nineteen years ago, almost to the day, we lost three astronauts in a terrible accident on the ground. But we've never lost an astronaut in flight. We've never had a tragedy like this. And perhaps we've forgotten the courage it took for the crew of the shuttle. But they, the Challenger 7, were aware of the dangers but overcame them and did their jobs brilliantly. We mourn seven heroes, Michael Smith, Dick Scobie, Judith Resnick, Ronald McNair, Ellison Onizuka, Gregory Jarvis, and Krista Mikulov. We mourn their loss as a nation together. The families of the seven, we cannot bear as you do the full impact of this tragedy. But we feel the loss and we're thinking about you so very much. Your loved ones were daring and brave, and they had that special grace, that special spirit that says, give me a challenge, and I'll meet it with joy. They had a hunger to explore the universe and discover its truths. They wished to serve, and they did. They served all of us. We've grown used to wonders in this century. It's hard to dazzle us. But for 25 years, the United States space program has been doing just that. We've grown used to the idea of space, and perhaps we forget that we've only just begun. We're still pioneers. They, the members of the Challenger crew, were pioneers. And I want to say something to the schoolchildren of America who were watching the live coverage of the shuttle's takeoff. I know it's hard to understand, but sometimes painful things like this happen. It's all part of the process of exploration and discovery. It's all part of taking a chance and expanding man's horizons. The future doesn't belong to the faint-hearted. It belongs to the brave. The Challenger crew was pulling us into the future, and we'll continue to follow them. I've always had great faith in and respect for our space program, and what happened today does nothing to diminish it. We don't hide our space program. We don't keep secrets and cover things up. We do it all up front and in public. That's the way freedom is, and we wouldn't change it for a minute. We'll continue our quest in space, 
There will be more shuttle flights and more shuttle crews, and yes, more volunteers, more civilians, more teachers in space. Nothing ends here. Our hopes and our journeys continue. I want to add that I wish I could talk to every man and woman who works for NASA or who worked on this mission and tell them your dedication and professionalism have moved and impressed us for decades, and we know of your anguish. We share it. There's a coincidence today. On this day, 390 years ago, the great explorer Sir Francis Drake died aboard ship off the coast of Panama. In his lifetime, the great frontiers were the oceans, and a historian later said he lived by the sea, died on it, and was buried in it. Well, today, we can say of the Challenger crew, their dedication was, like Drake's, complete. The crew of the Space Shuttle Challenger honored us for the manner in which they lived their lives. We will never forget them, nor the last time we saw them this morning as they prepared for their journey and waved goodbye and slipped the surly bonds of Earth to touch the face of God. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Words Matter with Elise Jordan and Steve Schmidt. For more information on our show and hosts, visit wordsmattermedia.com. Please rate and review Words Matter on Apple Podcasts and other podcast providers.